Guys, my name is John. I serve as pastor here at the Springs. If it is your first time with us, welcome. We appreciate whatever nerves that you had to push through as you walk into a space. We don't know quite where to go. You don't know quite how do I check in my kids. You don't know, can I come and get the coffee? Like any of you ever have the problem when you go to a new church? You got to discern, is the coffee for free or do I need to put a dollar in a basket? That happened to me last weekend. I was out of town. I went to pay. I didn't know what to do. Do I put a dollar? Do I not? It was very conflicting. I share all that. <laughs> I share all that. Thank y'all for pushing through it. If it's your first time coming and hanging out with us. I pray that here's what you find. You just find an imperfect group of people who sincerely love Jesus Christ. Imperfect folks who honestly think God himself took on flesh, lived in this world, lived a perfect life, and he died for you and he died for me and then he rose from the grave. And because that is true, we're saved just by faith, but that faith, it changes us. And that's the only thing we ever wanna be about here at the Springs. So as you come, men, I pray you meet kind folks who love Jesus, who are fun to be around and wanna get to know you. But while you check it out, welcome. So let me pray and we're gonna get started. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the chance to gather, to come and spend time looking at your word and what it says. God, I thank you for the opportunity we have to remind ourselves of love specifically and what love really looks like, how love impacts our life and how we are called to walk in it in faithfulness. Would you bless this time, God? Would you do what only you can do? And that is change lives. If you're here and you have a faith, I'd ask, would you please just take the next 10 seconds and pray that God would use this time in your life to strengthen you and grow you. If you would, take another 10 seconds and pray for me. Pray that my heart would be yielded and pray that I would be helpful. Lord, we love you. We give you this time as we come and we gather and we celebrate. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen, y'all. Well, hey, let me start off by asking this question. My, my wife and I, we had the chance last night to go see a movie. Anybody heard of the movie Yesterday, by chance? All right, not too many. It wasn't that popular. We stumbled across it through a trailer. Let me ask a question this way. Anybody here a Beatles fan? All right. Well, a bunch of younger folks are like, what? Well, at least that. You know some of their greatest hits. If you don't know them, in high school, my sister got a hold of the Greatest Hits album, and she played it all the time to where there's about 24 Beatles songs out of their literally probably close to like 600 that I just love and know really well. So I consider myself a false but real Beatles fan. This movie yesterday, it's essentially a movie where it's set to the soundtrack of the Beatles album where you get to go and you just basically get to hear their best and greatest hits. It's like a romantic comedy put in with a concert the whole time. It really is a great movie. Shameless plug. All that to say is the movie, it goes like a lot of movies to where there's this plot, there's heartbreak, there's this, there's that, there's, there's this ascension to where right at the end, you get to that amazing kind of building moment, the pinnacle of the movie, and they're singing all these Beatles songs. And there's this famous Beatles song that they end it with. And it's the song, All You Need Is Love. Right, anybody got the song like in their head already? All you need it, I won't sing it. That's what these guys do, that's not for me. But no, like, and even if you don't, what I wanna do is I just wanna play a little bit of section of this song for us up here on this, in just a second. Because I think the theme of it is what we're gonna talk about today. And what's amazing is why they were sharing it even back then. So take about the next minute and watch a clip of the Beatles singing All You Need Is Love. It's that song where again, the repetition of that chorus, they kinda of tell you what the whole point is. To where, honestly, the whole theme, and it was one of those where, at least in the movie last night, it was, it was really loud, and there was this energy to where, at the end of the song, I literally turned to my wife, and we're sitting in Alamo. So, like, you talk, you text, you get kicked out or whatever, but I'm literally, I turned to my wife, and I'm like, I want to stand and clap. Because I was so happy, this guy, I'm not going to ruin it, but I'm kind of ruining it. Like, he gets the girl, it's this amazing moment, all you need is love, right? And there's this energy to it, and there's this excitement about it. I mean, what's amazing is it actually made me think about where we're going to be this morning in the text. Like, if you haven't been with us or you missed maybe two weeks ago, I was out of town last week, my friend JD came and he preached. Like where we're gonna be today as we look in the, the book of Philippians, it's just this letter, is we're gonna see that the writer of the letter, the apostle Paul, this teacher, he's gonna write for them. He's gonna say, here's what you need. You need love. Here's what I'm gonna pray for. 
you need love. Like that is his antidote. That is his strengthening agent to this, this church. This gathered group of Christians in, in this town in Northeast Greece at the time that was called Philippi. That was his solution. Well, what's amazing though is as I heard that song and I thought about the text, as I just started researching it. That song, and I didn't know this, some of you may know, came out in 1967. It was a hit single. The Beatles put it together for this uh, television show called Our World. It was the first one of its kind. It was a live broadcast where they connected 19 different countries across the globe. Its intention was to try to bring unity to where every nation that attended, they had a spokes representative musician. The Beatles represented Britain, and they closed the show. This show at the time, they'd never done anything like it. It was broadcast to where they estimate between 400 and 700 million people. Our world produces, they came together and they said to the Beatles, hey, we need you guys to write a song. Here's the intention of it. Here's what we need it to be about. But they said, hey, it needs to be basic. You gotta use basic English language because it has to be translated. That's why the song is so many repeated choruses, refrains, and just simple statements. And the Beatles at that time, specifically John Lennon, he, he took it seriously. And he stopped and he thought through, okay, what is a message? If we're gonna have an audience like that, what is a message that we wanna get out? And he came up with, all you need is love. Now, I'm gonna take you one more step. Imagine with me, it was 1967. Here's what was going on, right? We were one year away from Martin Luther King being assassinated, smack in the middle of a civil rights movement, smack in the middle of Vietnam just beginning and ready to go, anti-war protests in San Francisco at this time. They, they took this song in 1967. It's called The Summer of Love. And this song was the banner theme. There were 100,000, in their term, hippies living in a field just outside San Francisco that embraced love and all of its meaning and feeling were right in the middle of the sexual revolution and a changing in morality and what does it look like? Again, Vietnam, we're right in the middle of the Cold War. There's an arms race as we head towards space. And Lenin comes and he puts this out and he says, hey, here's your solution. All you need is love. Guys, the reason I enjoy that song so much is he was right. Now, I don't say that a lot about everything John Lennon said. But he was right. But what was true is he was right, but it was not all of it right. Because here, and I, and I know Lennon, he didn't mean to come and give some thesis, but his antidote, his solution was love. But here's the problem with love. Some people have it to where in reality they have love. What they need, though, is more of it. What they need is more love than what they currently have. And the second problem with it is how do you define love? How do you break down love? Like if love is something that you have, what does that mean? Is love, like, like the way I read an article in uh, Psychology Today, written by Dr. Annapol, where she, where she talked about how love, it is the force of nature. It strikes like lightning. You can say no to it, yet it always wins. Where we come is a victim to what we fall into. We have no choice in love. It's this overwhelming force that happens to you. Is that love? Is love a choice? Is love something you can grow in? Like if you fall in love and then even in relationships with friends or marriages or boyfriends or girlfriends and it changes over time, did you lose the love? What if you have it but you just want more of it? Guys, the re reason I start with all that is Lennon, he, he wrote this song as a solution of what people needed and he was partially right. But what's amazing is what the Apostle Paul is gonna do with you and me today. As he writes this letter to this church in Philippi, he's gonna give the same answer as Lenin in a way, except he's gonna go further. He's gonna come and first say, hey, you have love. Those of you who believe in Jesus Christ, like if you're here and you believe, like you really believe, you know love. You know something that's unexplainable, that's both feeling and yet choice, that is both discipline and devotion. You know love. But so many times, like especially 
like church folk, Christians, man, what, what we really mean is we want more love. That we want a better understanding of how God loves us because we feel distant, we, we feel far, we, we feel detached. We feel like no matter how hard we try, it's just never good enough. It's like some parental figure that we work for their approval even though we feel like we'll never get it. Is that what our love's supposed to be like? That's why it matters, guys, how we define it. So that's why today we're going to look at the truth. All you and I need is love. But as we look at love, what's true is we oftentimes we want more. But it also matters how we define it. And that's what Paul's going to do for you and he's going to do for me today. Where we'll be in the text is Philippians chapter 1. We're just going to look at three verses. We're going to look at verses 9 through 11 of Philippians chapter 1. The first thing we're going to talk about is, man, what is the foundation of love? Like, what is its basis? Think here again, the definition of it. What, what is biblical love and how might that be different than what Lennon is singing about? The second thing we're going to do is we're going to talk about what is the fruit of love? Like, how does it manifest itself? What makes you lovely? Right? And if you're here and you, you don't believe in God or Jesus or you're not really into this or it's a holiday weekend, so you got dragged here by family, right? Here's why I think this matters. You want to be loved. You want to know love. The other thing that's true of you is you want to be lovely. You want people to consider you as lovely. You want to be attractive to other folks. So love matters for you in church. Love is a distinguishing characteristic that Jesus said would demonstrate who his people are. Do you know that when Jesus, he came and he talked about, hey, here's how you're gonna be able to tell the difference between people who are followers and believers of me and those who aren't? He said love. So church, it matters that we understand its foundation and it matters that we understand the fruit that it produces. To kind of set up where we are in this text, because again, it was about two weeks ago the Apostle Paul, he's writing this letter of gratitude, of joy, and of celebration to this church in Philippi. He's writing this letter to strengthen their faith. And last week, he was celebrating their partnership with him in the gospel, how they took their faith and they lived this stand-out mindset, not for their sake, but for the sake of the world, to where because they'd gone all in, people could look at them and say, there's just something different about them. Paul celebrates where Paul is this week is he goes from celebrating to exhorting. Exhort means it's like a strong encouragement. And you even see in the language where it begins, it's like Paul, literally as he's writing, his heart just starts to overflow as he's saying, I celebrate your love. And then he transitions to where we'll see today. He starts praying that they would love more and more and more. If you're like me, Here's what you need to hear. There's nothing God can do to love you more or to love you less. His son, Jesus Christ, is the greatest demonstration of love. Once you believe in him, he cannot love you more or love you less. But you know what you would love to have is what I would love to have, a better understanding of what that means. And from that understanding, I want to be more loving towards others. That is what we're going to learn about today. All you need is love. If you have a Bible, you can turn with me, Philippians chapter one. I'm gonna read verses nine through 11, but then what we're gonna do is we're gonna circle back up to verse nine and then work our way through the text. Philippians chapter one, verse nine through 11. And it is my prayer that your love, it may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. That's where we'll be. Well, let's start by first looking at verse 9. Verse 9 again. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. The first thing I want to look at as we examine this text is what is the foundation of love? 
If love is all that you and I need, what is its foundation? Because Paul, he starts here with the prayer, but then he's going to begin to define, when he says love, biblical love, here's, here's what he means, right? And as we look at this, especially just these, these few verses, we're going to spend extra time examining the words because I think he put them here. Absolutely, by the power of the Holy Spirit, intentionally. So what these words mean matter. So we're going to spend a little more time with that. So Paul, his heart starts to overflow as he's celebrating this church, and he just switches just straight into prayer, right? Because what he wants for them is, man, and my prayer is this, that your love, it may abound more and more. The word abound here, it literally means to overflow, to have in excess, to have more than enough. And then what does he follow it up with? that you may have more than enough and more and more. He's literally drawing out this imagery through language of this love that is lavished where he wants these people to not have a shallow, to not have a superficial, to not have a cultural, to not have a checkbox mentality, understanding of God's love that their love from him and then their love from others, it would abound. The first thing we have to see is the foundation of love. It abounds. Two weeks ago, we, we referenced something about how oftentimes, right, Christians, we are called to be fountains, but we tend to be drains. Like we are called to, to bring life, to bring refreshment, to bring hydration. But so many times, we ourselves are drains. We take life. Now, what's true is we all have difficult moments. But what Paul is pleading for here, where his heart just shifts right at the beginning immediately, he's like, man, I want your love to be more and more and more and more. One of my favorite places to eat is Olive Garden. Two weeks ago, I went there. I haven't been there in a while. I, I tend to get the exact same meal every time. It's actually generally... When I go to Italian restaurants, I kind of compare them all. And so y'all know, Olive Garden is currently leading the pack, right? But the meal for me, and this would also be my last meal, if you ever wanted to know that. You probably didn't, but I'm still telling you. Chicken parm. Any fans of chicken parm here? Yeah, it's delicious. It's literally worth getting off your diet for. It's phenomenal, right? But here's the amazing thing. I go to Olive Garden. I order the chicken parm. Out comes this fried cutlet of deliciousness. And here's what's true about chicken parm. If you've seen this dish, it comes from the kitchen, right? There's some marinara sauce or however I'm supposed to pronounce that word. And then there's on top of that copious, overflowing amounts of cheese. Y'all get what I'm saying? Like it comes from the kitchen where cheese and there's so much of it on top that it's melting. It's falling off the edge to where it kind of gets stuck to your plate because it's so hot. And then there's this amazing moment. It's like the server just gets me. She comes, she drops the plate, and then I can remember she leaned over and she had this amazing device in her hands. It's a small, typically white thing. There's a block of cheese inside of it. And she just says, would you like some more cheese? <laughs> of course I would like more cheese. She just leans over and starts cranking that wheel. And then she's just looking at me, just say when. I was like, oh, I will, right? And there's this like extendedly long amount of time. It's just cheese is going all over my cheese. I share that, guys. It is ridiculous. It is redundant. It is way too much. That's exactly how God wants you to understand his love. That is exactly how God wants you, when folks engage with you far beyond just, just like a meal or a mindset, but like your heart, does love, does that overflow? Like, does that abound more and more? Do you, do you sit in a sense of loneliness and desperation without love? Or you do live in the reality? No one has ever graded, demonstrated a greater love for me than Jesus Christ. Because this word love here in, in the Greek, and if you grew up in church, you've heard this word before. It, it's agape. There's four different types of love. Paul uses this one. It's unconditional gospel-driven, Christian. What, what I mean by that is it's a reminder that no matter what you've done, the worst of you in your life, 
you are forgiven and free. No matter, even if you have that forgiveness, even if you have that faith, if you take that faith and you just bury it and you stick your head in the sand and like treasure, you just set it aside and you don't show it to the world, you know how it feels about you? Unconditional, gospel-driven, love like his son. The foundation of love is that it abounds. The second thing that love is founded on is we, we see this word here, with knowledge. One of the things that I love about my Bible is how it equips my soul, right? Where, where so many times I, in, in terms of love, and not even just romantic love, but love in general, it feels like this fluid, spiritual, mystical force that happens to me. And what Paul is saying is that, yes, you and I, we have feelings. Feelings are real. But God's love, it is founded in what is true. It is founded in what is right. And that's where for us, uh, and that's where for us, the way we come and we grasp that is you gotta grow in an understanding of God. Like knowledge here, it literally just means understanding. Like to where when you and I try to define love, here's what's true. You don't need to look inside yourself for what is true to you. You need to look outside you need to look in the reality that he's laid that out for you here. How you grow in a love for God is you grow in a knowledge and understanding of him. How you come to see him is good. How the more you learn about him, the more you love him, that you don't create your own. He's already created everything for you. Love is meant to know. Love is meant to understand. Love doesn't find truth. Love gets to know truth. This happened for me yesterday. I came up here, I was working on the sermon, and I just spent a little time myself. I try to spend time reading. And right now I'm working my way through the book of Proverbs. Right? Proverbs is just wisdom literature. I'm sure some of you, you, you've read that. It can feel a little bit like fortune cookie, jump out. There's much more of a theme to it than what you might think. But I came across a proverb, man, and I've read this proverb before. But I came across one phrase, it was Proverbs 13, 13. And boom, I grew in a knowledge of God. And you know what that knowledge created? A deeper love. The proverb started where it says, hey, whoever despises the word, this is the word. Whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself. The next frame in the proverb, but whoever reveres the commandment will be rewarded. And I stopped and read it and I thought about my life. And I thought about the destruction that I have brought to me of when I despise this. Thought about my past dating relationships, the scars of the sexual sin that I still carry. Right? I thought about my past stewardship of money and how I made the whole thing about me and my greatest sense of joy came from what I could buy next. I thought about the way that I resolved conflict to where for the longest time I would just stuff and stuff and stuff and then eventually I would just explode and I was one of those people where there are folks who still won't talk to me today. I had brought destruction on myself because I despised the word. But then the second refrain, I saw how only by the grace of God, nothing good in me but through his son how when I'd come and imperfectly set my life in accordance with knowing and loving him, his will, his way. I had been rewarded. I'd been rewarded in peaceful relationships, unity with people. I'd been rewarded by realizing, man, there's a forgiveness of all my broken sin. There's a forgiveness of it all, a different stewardship of my own money in my family. God, it's yours. What do you want? You can have it. And there's been a blessing for that. Guys, all that happened because I didn't do anything fancy. I just opened this. I said, will you help me? And then I thought about one verse. Love grows when it gets to know God. I don't have to find out truth for myself. Truth is a person and his name is Jesus. I just had to know him foundation of love. 
The third thing that he says here is then with all discernment. Right, discernment, I enjoyed even looking at this word because what it's talking about is perspective. Discernment comes when you know things, but it's the wise application of those things. To where here's what is meant to happen in the heart and in the life of those who believe in Christ is they grow in love, they grow in knowledge, they grow in understanding of God, but from that love, they become discerning people. Discernment, it's not just knowing the difference between right and wrong. Sin and righteousness, though, of course, that's part of it. But it's also knowing the differences between how do you walk in a manner, not just without sin, but walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. How do you come and live a life where you plead, God, help me to walk by the Spirit so I will not gratify the desires of the flesh? How do you come and, and realize that wisdom is a tree of life, and those who lay hold of her are called blessed. Discernment. Like as you're growing in love, you're growing in knowledge. As you're growing in knowledge, you should be growing in discernment. My, my question is, if you've walked with Christ for a short or a long period of time, how are you doing it discerning the things of God? Like, does your discernment, does the Holy Spirit show up in your life when it comes to your entertainment choices, what you say yes to on Netflix? Like, when you see TVMA, does that make you pause? Like, when movies, when you go to watch, or the, the HBO special that ends, I'm not saying any of those things are inherently wrong, but what I'm saying is discernment. Does discernment show up in your life when you evaluate debt? Debt is a neutral thing throughout your Bible, but it is something that is cautioned against. So how do you consider that when it comes to new purchases, when it comes to new trips, when it comes to new cars, when it comes to a second house? I'm not saying you can't go on trips, cars, second houses, or anything. But discernment, how does it show up in your dating relationships? Who you date, how you date. I'm going to really step on toes here. How does it show up in how you disciple your kids in who to date, when to start dating, how to date? Whole lot of freedom, church. What happens is love grows. You grow in a knowledge. What happens with knowledge is you gain a perspective. Discernment. He's speaking to maturity. My daughter this past week, she was playing with a Lego set that morning, we'd given her these red grapes, cut up these grapes. She's about two and a half years old. Her name's Lily. We'd given her these red grapes. She was eating these, and then she goes to play with this Lego set. In this Lego set, it was a kid's one, so it was set up to be kind of like a, like a garden. And there were a couple Lego pieces where they came out, and they were these small, same color as the grape, little apples. And she saw these Legos, and a bunch of moms are looking at me like, I know what's about to happen. And my sweet, brilliant, smarter-than-your-kid daughter just <laughs> popped that thing straight in her mouth, man. And I literally, I saw her. She turned the corner, and I could see the red, fake, little cherry apple thing or whatever it was right on the tip of her tongue. And I went up to her, because you can't startle her, right? Or else she'll just sprint, run, swallow. So I start, like, real slow. Hey, Lily, I need. She knew immediately. She just bolted, gulped, swallowed that thing, Right? Yeah, a bunch of y'all are like, that's bad parenting. Welcome to the springs. It's okay to not be okay. Y'all are here to help me get better, right? But no, it's one of those, she swallowed this. Away she went. Here's our strategy, if you're wondering. We're just going to hope it all works out. If not, we'll call a doctor, right? But she comes and she did that. Now, here's what's funny is it really did, because there were other pieces of it. It looked very similar to these red grapes that we'd given her earlier in the morning. But what's amazing is, because she's two and a half, she couldn't tell the difference. She couldn't discern the difference. Here's where that's fine. She's two and a half. But what happened if she did that at 12, at 22? How many things in our life do we come and we pick up the false, the fake, the broken version of it, and we pop it in? We think it'll bring nourishment, but it doesn't. It brings pain, concern of others. Guys, biblical love, the love that you need, the love that I need, it's founded in what is true. It is meant to abound more and more. Our problem is not that we, we want too much. It's that we settle for too little. 
And what does that leave us as? Little on knowledge, little on discernment. Church, all you need is love, and there's a foundation to love that's been well-defined for you. Let's jump back into the text now. We're going to look at verses 10 and 11. Where, where Paul's going to go now is he's set up the foundation, but then he's going to really begin to talk about, and here's what this produces. You'll even see in some of the language where this language here, he's going to talk about four different things that it brings about in your life. And I'm telling you this in advance because I want you to pick it up because what it builds on, it's like a, a snowball at the top of a hill. Whereas it starts to roll, it gets bigger and it builds momentum. And you'll see in Paul's language how the fruit of God, it builds momentum. Let's look at verses 10 and 11. I'm actually going to start back at 9 for context. And it is my prayer that your love it may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The second theme I want to talk about as we look at, man, all that you need is love, is you have to see what love produces. What is the fruit of love? He starts out here, so that you may approve what is excellent. The first fruit that comes, you remember discernment that we just talked about before? It shows up in the reality of this love brings about change. It's meant to evidence itself. It is meant to show up in your life. And he says, I want you to have love so that you may approve what is excellent. This word approve here, it literally means to judge right from wrong. Do you and I have to determine that on our own? No. Remember last time, we have that here. But then Paul, he, he steps it up to where he goes from approval so he uses the word excellent. I wish we had more time to even look into this. Thankfully, he's going to use the same word later in chapter 4. But excellent here, what Paul means is it is the summation. It is the summary term of all that is good and right and true and holy before God. That, that would mean your attitudes, my thoughts, my, my actions, my generosity, my pursuit of holiness, my hatred of sin, all that is excellent and God-honoring to him. What does love produce in us? Excellence. It produces a changed heart, not perfection, but faithfulness. The reason I think that that matters so much is so many times folks just walk through life thinking God just wants to keep them from doing sinful things. That he is like a police officer in the sky where there's rights and there's wrongs. And if you step out of line, he just can't wait to tell you. That's not him. His love has come to save you from your sin and to set you free. Why? So that you may live in excellence, that you may have it in abundance, in a peacefulness, a fruitfulness. Does that mean that life will always go well and it works out for you? No. But does that mean that no matter what, you will know a unique joy, a unique peace, as you long for a home that awaits you. Absolutely. The first fruit of love, it's excellence. The second fruit of love, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. What he's talking about here is integrity. Well, let me show you. Purity and blamelessness, what it doesn't mean is without sin, so that you'll never sin again. That's not what he's speaking to. But he's speaking to here an integrity to where there is a what you see is what you get to where instead of coming on a Sunday morning and we all put on this facade, this front, like my life has it all together, my, my spouse and I have it all together, my family has it all together, no, everything's fine, where in reality it's not. That there's a purity to us. Purity here, it's two words combined. It means to judge, and it means son. It's saying that you examine the quality of something by holding it up to the light. Blameless, it means without offense. Not perfection, without offense, and that you go through life not habitually, continually, brokenly giving way to sin 
in leading others to do the same. There's an integrity to you. The fruit of love is integrity. Let's look at the next thing that Paul says. He starts it there in verse 11. What happens from these things? Because remember, if you see the language, so that, so that, and then where does it go? Be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. To be filled with something, this happens the moment you become a believer. You are filled. You are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. You're sealed. You don't need more of the Spirit. You don't need to pray, Spirit, come into my life. If you're a Christian, the Spirit's there. What you need to pray is, God, may I yield. May you be in charge, not me. May I follow you, not that. That's what being filled with. It's a one-time act that's meant to show up in the present continually. And then what does he say? That you may be filled with the fruit of righteousness. He's talking there about good works. What you do, your effort, have no bearing on your uh, eternal relationship with God. It doesn't. You cannot work your way into heaven. Like, who, who, who goes to heaven? Not people who try hard. Not people who go to church. Not people who read their Bible. Not people who don't cuss. Not, 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 not people who avoid vices and try to cling to virtues. No. Forgiven people go to heaven. What happens in the lives of those who've been forgiven? There's a desire to be filled with the fruit of God. There's a righteousness that shows up. Obedience, faithfulness, living for God out of a love for God. Because you got to remember, what was the motive? Paul spent the whole time talking about love. And now he's saying, here's how that love is lived out. Not for legalism, but because of love, because he wants it to abound. He wants it to overflow, that it's unconditional from him to you. And so because of that, it should show up to everybody. Good works are a fruit of love. And then, man, the one that I appreciate the most is the last part. Why does God want all this? Why does Paul pray for this? What is this for? To the glory and praise of God. To the glory and praise of God. The other fruit that love produces is a glory of God. Here's why this is amazing. Like if you ever wonder, hey, what's my purpose in life or why am I here? Here's your purpose. Here's your, here's your meaning, to love God and to help others love him. Right? As you go to do those two things, guess what happens? God is glorified. That's why people say the chief end of man is the glory of God. You exist to glorify the Father. But here's the beautiful thing. You know how God is glorified most in you? When you and I realized how lavished and loved by him that we are. Like the way that he is magnified is by you realizing how much he cares about you. By you grasping the reality, he died for every bit of my sin. I don't have to be led by guilt because he paid the penalty for everything. Then I don't have to worry about coming and pleading with him for God, would you help me to love you more? Because as a good father, there's no prayer that he wants to answer more. And as we grow in love, Guess what's true? He is glorified. We don't come and sing praises because we're supposed to. We come and sing praises because he loved us. He died for us. He's praiseworthy. He's glorious. And the greatest life you could ever live is one that rests in that love and from that love magnifies him. That word I told you guys about, pure before, where I said, hey, it's the combination of two words, son and judge, right? This word, it was used, especially first century Roman culture, all those things all across Greece. It was used by a lot of shop owners. It was used by people who went and purchased things, merchants, all those kind of different spaces. The reason for that is every utensil, pretty much, not every, 
a lot of utensils were made of clay. Think pottery. So think like you need to buy a bowl. Now, what was true is this clay is it was oftentimes fine or it was thin. So what would happen to these clay, well, let's just take a bowl, for example. These bowls is there would be a crack in them. Like where it was dropped or where it fell over time, this crack began to show. Now, these shop owners would purchase or they'd build or they'd make this pottery, and this pottery would get cracks in it. Well, once it comes with a crack, I can't put water in it, I can't boil water in it, it has lost its function. It's lost its use. So these shop owners would come, and instead of fixing it, instead of repairing it, instead of bringing real purity to it, they would melt wax. They'd melt wax and they'd fill in those cracks. Then with melted wax, because it looked different than clay, they'd paint over it. And they'd set it out there. And so these folks would come and they'd buy it. They'd take it home. And they could use it for many things, but not all things. Why? Because there wasn't real purity. It wasn't real integrity. The number one way that they would tend to find out is they would put boiling water in these things. And the boiling water would melt the wax. All of a sudden, what would expose itself was the crack. So that's where these folks would come and the way they would examine these because shop owners, over time, people stopped buying to where many of them started to put these uh, stamps and these seals on their pottery. The seal literally said, without wax. To where these shop owners, would, folks would come to buy it, and they'd take these bowls, these vases, these jars, and they would hold them up against the light. And they knew there was wax because wax always showed up darker. They could see the crack. Church, you need love, and love evidences itself. It has fruit that shows up. But so many times, we're just like that. We come and we have these cracks in our lives, which all people do. But we don't come to God for a holistic, real healing. We fill it with wax. We paint over it. If we're honest, much of our life, it's a, it's a front. It's a facade. There's this veneer to us that lacks a sincerity. To where folks really knew our, our problem and spending way too much time trying to cope through alcohol to where we're likely much closer to alcoholism than we would ever want to agree with. That's wax in the crack. To where our dating relationships, we don't really want to come and talk about what those look like or how we care for each other, what boundaries we're talking about. Why? Because, man, we just paint over the crack. Because our marriage with our spouse, after, after years, what we've done is we have become roommates who are well-coordinated after-school drivers rather than having a marriage that reflects a love from God in heaven. We paint over the crack. We come in our own ways to examine and get to know God, but we just don't want to. We're apathetic and we generally don't care. So we show up at community groups, Right? And we try to talk about other things, hoping people don't ask us about that thing, what really matters most. And then we have this tendency, we, we paint over the crack, we get in the car and we drive off, and we say, well, I, I didn't share about what was really going on, but neither did they. Love, it's meant to produce a fruit. Love is meant to produce in you, not just where we paint over cracks, but we fill that, we change it. There's an integrity to it where we come imperfectly and we plead with God, help me to love you more. I know you love me. Help me to understand it, but help me to love you more. That love shows up. That love looks to move towards marriage rather than be okay with the status quo. That love confesses sin when no one else will share. That love fights for a realization of what agape actually means. All you need is love. And love has fruit. So guys, how do we do this in our lives? How, how does this show up? How do, how do we grow in love? Because that's what's amazing. Like if you're here and you believe in Jesus, love, it's not just a force that happens to you that you're victim of. It's something you can grow in. I think the first way you do it is exactly how Paul starts out. I love that. He said, in my prayer is that your love may abound more and more. 
When was the last time that we, like in here, if you're a Christian, like seriously, like if you've tuned me out, listen to this. When was the last time you asked God, God, help me to understand your love. Help me to love others more. God, help me to understand your love and help me to be lovely. Like a sincere plead is if he can actually hear you and he cares. Because here's what my Bible says. One of those comforting verses. It's Jesus. It's John 16, verse 24. Until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Jesus saying, if you ask it according to my will. What does Jesus promise if we ask things according to his will? Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. You never need to wonder if it is God's will for you to better understand his love for you. You never need to wonder if it is God's will for you to grow in an ability to love and care for others. It is. So what, what does that mean, church? That as you and I run into his his throne room with confidence that we may find mercy and grace to help in time of need. And we plead, help me to understand your love and help me to love them better. He will answer your prayer. I want that prayer to be answered in my life. God wants that prayer to be answered in all of our lives. Guys, all you need love. It's not just a force. It's not just a feeling. It's getting to know a God in heaven who loves you. I, I want to close with, with this. Some of you guys, if you've been here, you may have seen that right down below me is a, it's a table, right? a table with a black cloth on it. I, I've spent some time thinking about love this week and how that comes. So what I want to do is I want to try to piece together just a visual demonstration of how I think that shows up. Now, one of the things that's true is depending on where you sit, maybe you can't see the table. The stage is too small to bring the table up here. So try and do your best to see it. But I want to explain why I think that myself, why we, like if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, why we can tend to miss this, right? I, I want to explain it by I have just a jar here. Now, this jar, it's essentially full of water. The visual I want to use is the reality that when we come, what's truth is you are filled with a love of God. That happens if you're here and you're a believer, the moment you believe. But what is Paul wanting? Paul's not just saying all you need is love, but he's saying, may it abound. May it be more. May it be more. To where this jar, we come and it's full. And when we think about God's love, something happens to us over time. We tend not to think about it in terms of more and more. Like we tend not to want to come and fill this up with a lot or with a little. I know many of you can't see this, but it's just a tiny dropper. It's just a small way where you can put one drop after another. I think this happens to us in the way that we view love from God, that it's not lavished, but it's minuscule. It's, it's just one small drop, drop. I went to church, drop. I said a prayer with my family a few weeks ago, drop. I thought about sharing my faith, drop. where we come and we expect these small things where love, it's not this messy, overflowing thing that God's done from us, but it's this clean, this sterile. Hey, I read my Bible last month. Hey, I thought about going to a community group. I haven't done it yet, but I'm thinking through it. And we just get these small drops. Like even as I fill this up to the brim, here's what's true, that doesn't overflow. I think the reason that it doesn't overflow is not that any of those things are wrong. It's right to read your Bible for the first time. It's right to consider being a part of a community. It's right to do a lot of those things. But I think the problem is, is it's just nowhere near enough to where we start to consider other things. 
where finally love, it might actually overflow to where we say, hey, for the first time, I'm not gonna go it lone wolf in my Christian life. I'm gonna try to circle up with others, even though the church has brought baggage in pain to where we come for the first time and we get to see this love flowing to where our kids, they honestly see a difference. To where our spouse, there's a change, but there's a hesitancy because we don't really know what's gonna happen, where it's gonna go or what it's gonna show up as. And there's this slow trickle which is glorious, is we begin to really overflow. It's folks at the school, when we go to pick up our kids and just say, man, something's different. Or the way you're interacting with your husband as you come and you watch the game, something is different. Like your choices when you show up to community group, they see you actually care rather than you just go through the motions to attend and it starts to grow and it starts to abound. But what do we want from there? Like God does not want a simple trickle. God wants you to come and plead, God, would you change my life? Would you change my love for you? Would you help me to actually understand what it meant to die for my sins and how I'm called to love you? I don't want something simple. I don't want something small. I want more and more and more and more and more and more. He wants to answer that prayer. Guys, I think so many times what we do with a dropper, it's a, great, it's a great place to start. I love every single thing. Come check, consider, work through. Maybe it's right, maybe it's true. Our, our problem is, is we settle with this. This was never what God intended, the small, sterile, minute, stay in my safe lane. No, he wants crazy love. He wants you to feel lavished upon there was a God in heaven who sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. He died for the worst of you, like the part of you that even now you sit here like, well, I'll never say that. Or the part of you where even as I share all this, you don't really even care. He loves you. He's crazy about you. And all you need is love. But you don't need some small love. You need an abounding love, a more and more love. Let me pray that that's what we would be about. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the truth of this time. And I thank you for the privilege that we have to gather and remind ourselves of you. Lord, I'm asking that you would, that you would come and grow love in the same way that Paul prayed for that church in Philippi. May we pray for this church, for us as individuals, that our love, it may abound more and more that we would know that it is defined and founded in you, and we would know that it's meant to produce fruit. It's meant to make us beautiful in a way that glorifies you. I thank you for the folks who love this message. Would you help us to all love it more as we realize how much you love us? It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, guys, hey, thank you all for coming and hanging out with us. I know it's a July 4th weekend so we're really glad you joined us. For those who want to stick around or check out or learn a little bit more about the Springs, again, there's a newcomer's class. It's in room A. You'll go out those doors, turn right. But if that's not for you, y'all go. Have a great week of worship, and we'll see you soon.